Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. dimension beyond that which is known to man it is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity it is the middle ground between light and shadow between science and superstition and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge this is the dimension of imagination it is an area which we call the twilight zone is the day after tomorrow the place a far corner of the universe the cast of characters three men lost amongst the stars three men sharing the common urgency of all men lost they're looking for home and in a moment they'll find home not a home that is a place to be seen but a strange unexplainable experience to be felt All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast, the Twilight Zone series. I am your host, Jimbo, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, 80Z. 80s, how you doing today? Doing well. Greetings from the fifth dimension, everyone. Happy to, to be back in here discussing a little Twilight Zone uh, with you all this evening. Episode 20 already. Episode 20, Elegy. Um, we've come a long uh, way. Eric, so yes, um, we have. I know, this, I know this isn't one of your favorites. You just want to get through this, but I'm going to make you talk through it, and we're going to see how your opinion alters at the end of this. Are you ready? Okay, uh, I'm ready for the challenge. All right, let's take it away. Uh, just on a side note, before we jump in, I really enjoy the fact that um, a lot of the podcasts. This is maybe off the subject, but a lot of the podcasts about the Twilight Zone are usually singularly done, which means it's just a, a mono person talking about the episode. But what what I like about our deal is that we can converse back and forth and we get those opinions and we can shoot ideas off of one another and we'll kind of walk through it. So 
you know, that, that kind of makes our podcast unique. And it's like one of the things that I enjoy the most that, you know, you can talk to your buddy about an episode and kind of bounce ideas off of one another. Whereas other podcasts, I mean, there are a couple, I think out there that are dual uh, host podcasts, but um, that's what I enjoy the most about doing this. Right. And, and I like, like pointing out things that maybe you haven't seen, like, especially like the last episode we did about him leaving his equipment there and just different stuff that you may not have picked up on because I like looking in the background. I'll watch it once just for the story and then I'll watch it a second time and I'll, I'll pay attention to like uh, certain scenes, statues, uh, people in the background, objects. They're there. They're not there. You know what I mean? The lighting, the shading. Um, so that's where I go. I watch it at least twice every episode. So, Sure. Yeah. Yep. All good stuff. So, episode number 20 of The Twilight Zone Season 1 is entitled Elegy. Uh, it was directed by Douglas Hayes. And, again, uh, this director, Douglas Hayes, this particular gentleman, we're going to see him. I, I don't know exactly how many more times, but I know it's at least a couple more times as a director. And written by uh, this guy you're going to see a lot. His name is Charles Beaumont. It was written by Charles Beaumont. Um, and it's based on, I believe it's a short story. I've actually heard the short story version before on a podcast. Someone had a, a, a reading of it, and it was a really good. Obviously, the Twilight Zone changed changed some of uh, Beaumont's uh, material, um, but uh, Elegy was written actually by uh, Charles Beaumont. Uh, featured music was Nathan Van Cleve, and. Original air date, first seen on February 19, 1960. And uh, Jimbo, do you want to go ahead and take the cast at this point? Sure. This is one of those episodes that doesn't really have a great big deal of casting. I mean, there's only four people for the most part. Um, so we had Cecil Kellaway uh, plays Jeremy Wickwire. Um, he was in uh, Harvey with Jimmy Stewart, if you've ever seen that movie. Um, he plays Dr. William, uh, let me see if I can read, Chummy, Chum, Chum, Chumney, Chimney, Chuming, I don't know, I can't read my handwriting. Yes, sir. Wasn't he born, he was born in the late 1800s, right? Uh, I think, I think I read somewhere that he, he was, I mean, he was quite up there at age when he actually did this part, but, uh, yeah, he was one of those old, old school actors. I think he might've even acted in, uh, some silent films, maybe if I'm not mistaken, but. Yeah, yeah, he steals the show for sure, I think. <laughs> and then you had Jeff Morrow. He plays uh, Carl Myers. Kevin Hagen as Captain. He's the captain. So there's your leader that you were asking about. Uh, he's Captain okay. James Weber. And he is most famous for, Eric, what's he most famous for being in? Well, he would be uh, Doc Baker from uh, Little House on the Prairie, Little right? Little House on the Prairie, yep. And then you had Don Dubbins as Peter Kirby. Um, well, I'll talk about that at the end. Uh, the synopsis for this, three astronauts bring their ship down on an asteroid where the atmosphere and gravity resemble that of Earth. Only one problem, everyone there they, uh, they see there seems to be frozen in time until one man seems to come alive and explain everything to them. Okay, uh, let me jump in. Before we jump into the episode, uh, the t- let's uh, focus a second on the title um, maybe just make a distinction between, cause I didn't know this before I actually saw the, 
the title of the episode, the difference maybe between elegy, uh, defining elegy versus a eulogy. So an elegy is a poem, which I didn't know that, that reflects upon a subject with sorrow or melancholy. And often these poems are about someone who has died or other sorrowful subjects. A eulogy, on the other hand, is meant to offer praise as part of a funeral service or a eulogy uh, celebrates the deceased. Um, so I just kind of throw in that distinction there. I really had to really look that up to, to find out what the difference was. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's jump right into the episode here. The, the, the first uh, scene, we see uh, a rocket ship. Uh, looks like an old-style rocket ship, you know, something you would think of from the Sputnik era. It descends. It's it's coming down. It looks like a SpaceX rocket, actually. The right. you know the way it's landing. I, it took like a long time for uh, you know SpaceX to figure out how to shoot a rocket somewhere and then bring it back. But here um, we see the the three astronauts that are inside, and they're reading all their instruments. And then we have the opening narration. Uh, during this particular time, but I think Jimbo's going to insert that opening narration by Rod Serling, actually, at somewhere in the beginning. So they're descending on this planet, and they have a rocky ride, and then they, they hit the ground, and they start looking at their instruments, and really everything is registering and is coming up um, very similar to the Earth's atmosphere. I guess that would be, is that a fair assessment of what they're doing? And there's some trepidation about going, you know, going out because it's an unknown planet. And then one of the astronauts, I think, I can't remember who, but says to the other one, like, look, we're basically out of fuel anyway, so it doesn't matter. We have to at least try to see if this planet that we've landed on is, like, inhabitable or, you know, if we can live there, you know, whether we can or we can't. We don't have enough fuel, basically, to get out of the atmosphere, so we're kind of stuck. So yeah, they had that they conversation. Taking, Sorry, go they ahead. were taking a chance because they didn't even know they were going down because they were out of fuel anyway, and they didn't know if they were even going to be able to breathe the atmosphere. They had some instrument panels that said, "Hey, it's compatible to Earth," but they weren't really sure that they were even right. going to survive the landing. So the the hatch opens up, you know, and then the the ladder drops down, and uh, there the next scene is like a farm. It would be like a farm on Earth, and. And they look out and they see like it looks like a frozen dog, like sitting standing by this tractor or whatever. And which we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But um, and then actually we have a commercial break here. And then they come back and then the astronauts have descended out of the the spacecraft and they're standing next to look what looks like an old style of what do you call those like a a pump out of a well like uh, you know like an old style pump with a handle a water pump that you would pump water out of a well um and this dog it's just like which i don't is this a stuffed dog you think i know we're gonna get later in the episode that the people are they're not dummies they're real people that are in in the action sequence they're just standing really still and that will become noticeable as you go along there's some slight movements by the actors but i think the dog is actually probably stuffed because he's way too still there's no way they could make a well, dog yeah, that, stand that, that still. A, a freeze frame you know what i mean maybe yeah maybe that's a uh that might be a good explanation so the astronauts kind of talk amongst themselves and 
you know, the atmosphere seems a lot like Earth, but it's really weird. They encounter a, a farmer with overalls, and he's just, like, frozen in this position. Uh, he's, like, holding – what's it look like, a rake or an axe or pitch, something? He's holding fork. it down. Pitchfork or something, and he's just – He's just completely still. He's got like a blank stare on his face and they wave their hand in front of his face. and Like there's no movement or nothing. So they're just kind of dumbfounded by this. But the next thing, they're kind of crossing over a bridge and they see a man who is fishing and they call out to him like, hey, mister, hey, mister, are they biting today or whatever? And, you know, no response, just a statue, basically, like a guy just sitting on a blanket. Doesn't that one guy run up to him and knock him over? (laughs) I think he runs up to him and he he goes, Mr. Mr. Yeah, he, he, that's exactly right. He runs up to him and tries to talk to him. And the guy's just got a cheesy smile on his face. Like, this is the best, you know, this is the best day of my life. This is exactly what I want to be doing. And that will come into play later on. You know, he's got a great smile. And then there's there's actually like kind of a – this is really like a deep dive. But there's like an – it looks like an editing error because the camera pans back to the to the bridge, onto the bridge. Two astronauts are standing on the bridge while the one astronaut is talking um, to the fisherman. And so there's like a little bit of a, a freeze frame or something like it looks like they had to edit a shot or something. It's like a, a still, it looks like a still photo of the two astronauts on the bridge. And then Jimbo, you want to go on from here or did you have any uh, comments? Oh, sorry. No, no, I'm, you're doing fine. Um, I think when they come into, um, don't they, don't they split up after this point? Well, they start to, to hear, they start to hear music. And uh, they encounter, like, uh, an inauguration ceremony for Mayor Finch. And there's all these uh, – they hear music, and then they, they encounter all of the, the musicians are holding, like, their trumpets and trombones, and, and they're all frozen, too. And it's not like they're playing the instruments. The, the sound is coming out, but they're all, like, frozen, just like everyone else that they've encountered so far on this planet. And I mean, they just can't make heads or tails of what's going on. There's a lot of confusion. And this goes on, by the way, for a good portion of the episode. Like uh, you don't see. Well, we'll we'll get there in a second, I guess. So this there's this famous staircase in back to back episodes. We saw this particular staircase in the the Purple Testament. And they used it again, this prop again in this uh, particular episode. And at the top of the staircase is the prospective mayor who has just won his uh, election. He's being inaugurated. And there are all these people standing on the stairwell celebrating his victory. But the astronauts, like I said, they're completely confused. And they're trying to figure out. They they come up with like kind of a homespun uh, version of maybe we're, we're moving too fast in time. And, and they sort of kind of come up with a, a theory on where they're at. Like they're either too far ahead or they're, they're going too slow and they sort of compare it to the hands of the clock. And then one of the astronauts goes, well, there's no, there's no hands on this grandfather clock right here. There's no hands on this, this clock. So they're just trying to, you know, figure out if they're time travel, if they've time traveled or, you know, what is going on here? Because everybody's like, frozen in time and they can't make heads or tails of it 
And so let's skip ahead a little bit in the episode. You know, um, then they go into a hotel. Like I said, this goes on. It's kind of similar to the first episode. Is anybody out there where, uh, well, in that episode, there are no people in it. And uh, the difference is in this episode, there are tons of people in this episode. But it's kind of like that eerie type feeling where they don't know what's going on and they don't understand why everyone seems to be like frozen like statues. And then there's like a poker game going on in this hotel lobby. I mentioned that earlier. And then they go upstairs into one of the hotel rooms and then they see two people who are frozen dancing. And each one of them is holding like a a glass of champagne. And that's where you can kind of see um where there are actual actors here and not dummies because you can see the liquid kind of floating you know moving around in their glasses but go ahead Jimbo. not only that in that same room they have the guys with the violins or violas yeah you can see them shaking because they're holding it they're holding that out you know i mean you can see them shaking even even the scene before this on the staircasing the staircase um i don't you know what honestly i think all these people were actors i don't think any of them were dummies yeah, I don't think so either. I think they were because all you, yeah, if you, real actors. If you actors. watch them long enough, you see them move. Now, the question is, yeah. did any of them blink? That's that's where you need to look because that's awful hard to do to stare at one place and not blink at all, especially when the yeah. when they come to the beauty pageant and he snaps his fingers in front of the one lady and you know, somebody snaps their fingers in front of you, you're pretty much going to blink. Uh, yeah. But but they do For split sure. up because one guy goes to what is it um I don't know. I would say like a is it a hotel? Uh, the Doc Baker I think goes to the hotel, and the guy yeah the he's in the hotel room, room. right? Mm-hmm. And then the one the one guy went to the, he's the one that found the the the, uh, the beauty pageant drinking. Well, no, the the two people drinking the wine oh. glass, and then the one guy goes to the beauty pageant. Um, yeah, which I think is really cool. Um, because yeah, he's just, it, he's just looking at. Sorry, go ahead. He's like he's looking at all the girls, you know. He's like, ah, oh, uh, and then he goes to the one lady that's like the winner. She's got like the glasses on, you know, the typical nerdy look. He's like, I think you're the most beautiful one of all. You know what I mean? So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that was um, a really sweet, uh, sweet gesture. That the way to explain it would be the the girls on the back row would be ladies that you would traditionally maybe see in a beauty pageant, and the winner was someone that you would not suspect to win a beauty pageant. You just said she's got the glasses. She's sort of a plain looking lady. And yeah, that was a nice um, gesture to, to put that in the script. And then mm-hmm. uh, he, what, what does he say again? You quoted him. You're the, you're the most beautiful one of all. And I think he calls yeah, her like yeah. a queen or something like that. Right. Or he said, he, he says what gives her like some kind of endearing term. And then as he descends the stairway, finally we get some movement by someone. You remember who that was, Jimbo? Uh, Wickwire. Yeah, that was uh, Jeremy Wickwire. He turns his head quickly as the one astronaut descends the stage, and he kind of has a smile on his face, and you're like, okay, now we're going to get somewhere. And then they go to a commercial. And then as we rejoin the astronauts after the commercial, they're walking down the sidewalk in front of like a traditional, uh, just like a neighborhood. Like I would say, I don't know what era do you think it would be Jimbo? Like 
probably the fifties, maybe probably. 40s? I, like, like I don't know. That's mow, mowing his grass, waving to people. You know, you got the ice cream guy pushing the ice cream cart. So it may be even be earlier than fifties. I'm not sure. Um, you know, yeah. You well, the guy's got the big. You got the ice. You got the ice truck. Yeah. Yeah, the big ice block. So it probably would predate the 1950s. But the, the astronauts make a, a a comment that this would be uh, sort of a high point or um, a golden era of the American life, kind of. They make a comment, something to that effect. Well, and I, um, and I think this is the point where they see that one house. The one guy's like, oh, look at that house. And he's like, well, you want it? He's like, yeah, I'm claiming this house or something, remember? Because they're like picking out the mm-hmm. they're going to live here now. Right. Um, so they approached the house and sitting on the porch was the gentleman that we just met, Wickwire. And he's the only one who has any movement uh, that has have, you know, moved at all. And it throws the astronauts for a loop and he tells them to come inside and there, you don't have anything to be afraid of. Don't be afraid. Come on in. And, uh, yeah, he, he's just really good really good actor and he sets the tone for obviously the rest of the episode. So they go inside. I would describe this house like what, like a Victorian style house with a big front porch. And you know, it's uh, very similar on the inside Uh, decor wise. It's, it it would be something from the 1800s, maybe like on the inside if, if you could describe it that way. And, um, what they begin to discover is that all of the people that they have encountered that are frozen like statues are actually in some sort of cosmic, what would you call it? Like a mortuary? Mm-hmm. Like a, yeah, like a, uh, it would be like a mortuary on this planet. Um, they're all on dead. On the asteroid. Yeah, the asteroid, my bad. That, they do use the word asteroid. And uh, Wickwire we come to find out is the he's the caretaker of this uh funeral home slash mortuary slash graveyard or whatever and they describe he describes one of the 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 people that's in the mortuary he he well he explains that the people who are in the mortuary are doing the thing that they would have wanted to do the most at their death so basically they're doing an activity like they are a mayor or they are a beauty queen or they are a knight in shining armor, a knight of the round table. They are forever in that state uh, throughout eternity, so to speak. Which, ex- which would explain maybe the, um, the beauty pageant lady, the winner of the beauty pageant lady. Maybe she never got that in life and she wanted to do it mm. uh, in death. So exactly right. That would be that explains why she was maybe not as attractive as some of the other ladies, because this was her greatest wish was to be, you know, uh, that beauty queen in life. But she can't fulfill that wish in life, but she could do that somehow at her death. So Wickwire goes and tells the astronauts to make themselves comfortable he goes into another room to, to make them a drink. They're still really confused. They're demanding that Wickwire tell them what in the world is going on. And um, 
he sort of divulges everything that we just talked about. He, he kind of gives them the long and short, but he does it after he's given them their drink. Um, uh, I don't know. It looks like champagne or something, but we come to find out that uh, there's like, what's it called? I forget what he calls it. He calls it like eternal fluid or something like yeah, that. It's like uh, an embalming fluid. I would think, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Something like that maybe. Yeah. And he, and they don't know it when they drink it and it's, you know, instantly they start, you know, getting stomach pains and they're, Oh, what did you do? What did you give us? And, um, that's when he tells them right. that, you know, they you, need to sit catch, down. Did you catch that though? When Wickwire, uh, he brings the glasses out and he goes to drink and he doesn't drink. He puts it up there like oh. this and he's watching. He's watching them, and he sits his yeah. back down. So <laughs> I was like, "That's pretty funny too." Right? Yeah, I, I didn't really pay close attention to that, but that would make sense. But he tells them that you know he's explaining to them after he's given them the drink, and they have that uh, eternal fluid going through them and that they're, they're going to die. Basically they're, they're going to, well, well, let me back up. He asks them before, what is the one thing that you three would want in your life? Like if you had kind of like a wish, what, what would you want to do? And they all three said, well, we would want the thing that we would want to do is be on our ship headed back to earth. That would be the greatest thing that we could think that we would want to do. And so he gets that information from them and that's going to come in handy later at the end of the episode. And we and does he tell him here, Jimbo? Or I can't remember About uh, that he he's not he, that he's as the caretaker. He's not human. He's like a robot almost, isn't he? Well, isn't, well he's remember they go back. They tell him that he's from um, that they are from Earth. And that they mm-hmm. run, they've been out there for five years and, and they ran out of fuel. Well, now after they drink this liquid, he's like, well, what year, when was it when you left? He's like, September. He's like, no, no, what's it was the date? And he's like, 2185. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, really? He did. He couldn't quite understand. But he thought they were from the Happy Glades, uh, uh, what was the Happy Glades yeah. uh, Cemetery or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's, he's coming around, but that... Um, Basically, he's telling them, like, hey, all these people are dead, basically, here, and they're here for eternity. But then he says, no, not all of them. They're not all real people. Some of them are imitations. Uh, so mm. some of them are technically dummies, uh, according to the story, but I think they were all portrayed by actors. Uh, it's probably cheaper than making dummies at this time of filming. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, you know... Um, He's like, yeah, this scene in the house goes on for quite a long, a long time because there's a there's a lot of explanation that needs to be made, obviously, because, you know, they're trying to tie all the loose ends up about the episode. And, yeah, Wickwire kind See, of they don't, they don't understand clears all that cem- up. They don't understand why there's a cemetery in space millions of miles away from Earth. They just can't wrap their 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 uh, mind around it. And Wickwire's like, well, you don't understand any anything. He said, you know, the, the Happy Glades, we offer everlasting peace. We offer eternal peace. Um, and he said, now, you couldn't really have that on Earth, could you? And uh, so all the people are like, well, you know, he, he's got a point. <laughs> you know, he's like, you couldn't have that on Earth. So um, this is where they're asking him, you know, um, what, what do you do? Well, why, how do you figure into all this and why are you here? He's like, it's my job to make sure that our guests are not disturbed um that you know he said he's the caretaker basically and uh so the guy's like um 
the guy asked, when's this mortuary started? When did it begin or whatever? He's trying to ask him. And he's like, oh, uh, 1973, you know? So it's like he's been around <laughs> for like, what, 200 years, 300 years at this point, I think. Yeah, Wickwire is like two or 300 years old, yeah, at this point, yeah. Yeah. So um, he says, no, so I'm, afraid we- you're, I'm afraid you're forcing me into a rather embarrassing admission. Here he goes. He's going to tell him. He says, I'm not actually human. Uh, he says, I'm... Uh, you know, uh, what's he call it? Um, I forget what he says. Basically, he is he like a cyborg because he could go to sleep until he's needed again. Yeah, he can power himself down and until he's, you know, exactly until he's needed again. And uh, I may be a little bit ahead of you, but then we come to the, the second to last scene where um the th- remember earlier wickwire asked the astronauts what they would want to do in life what would be the you know and they said they would be they would all want to be on their ship headed back to uh earth and then we come to the scene where wickwire has like this feather duster and they're back on their ship and they're in that frozen state just like everyone else and that dummy type state and he's dusting them with a feather duster and they're all back on their ships and in their mind I, they're headed back home to earth. And then, uh, we come to Wickwire at the top of the stairs in the home and he goes to sit down in the chair and I guess powers himself down or whatever. Uh, and uh, I think that's the end of the episode. Right. So, so you got any, uh, oh, any yeah, trivia on this one? Is there, is there a lot? Oh yeah, we got some. Uh, so okay. basically, Douglas Hayes uh, replaced the original story's uh, short story's motionless car race with a beauty pageant, displeasing story writer Charles Beaumont. Although the pageant is considered the most memorable part of this episode, um, Rod yeah. Sterling also appears in a special coda segment to the episode, saying, "I'm here to settle an argument to the effect that I'm not at my best when writing scripts for women." Miss Vera Miles takes my side in a most unusual and unique story we call Mirror Image, which we will be covering our next episode. And so he's like, yeah, yeah. I'll see you next week. You're in your living room, and Miss Vera Miles and the rest of us are going to be in the Twilight Zone. Uh, the background noises heard aboard the ship in the first scene were later reused in Star Trek, the original series, in 1966. And then they were also previously heard in the final scene of the Twilight Zone, uh, third from the sun uh, in 1960, which we have already covered. Yeah, yeah, we've already covered that one. Um, the town hall set is the same used in the Twilight Zone, the 16mm Shrine. Uh, as Barbara Trenton's uh, house, as well as Long Live Walter Jameson in 1960 as a college hallway. It was also used as part of the Army Hospital in the Twilight Zone, the Purple Testament, which, which we just covered last episode, and we talked about that for a second. Um, let's see here. The Canadian industrial band Skinny Puppy used samples from this episode in their songs 200 Years, Dig It, and Chainsaw. <laughs> I actually have listened to those songs on uh, Apple Music. Stop. Uh, not, a, Stop. not a fan. Not a fan, Stop. but whatever. Uh, they said that uh, Captain James Weber, P- Professor Kurt Myers, and Peter Kirby left Earth in September 2185. Uh, the flashing dials in the spaceship seen right after landing are the same one used in Forbidden Planet, the movie from 1956. Uh, okay. They say that most of Earth's surface was destroyed in an atomic war in 1985. Uh, the music in this episode was used later in the Twilight Zone uh, 22, uh, 1961. Uh, Happy Glades uh, was established, obviously, in 1973. Uh, Jeff Morrow, who played Professor Kurt Myers, 
would later play H.G. Orson in The Twilight Zone, A Day in Beaumont, and The Last Defender of Camelot in 1986. The spacesuits worn by the astronauts are the same ones worn by the crew of Destination Moon from 1950. Uh, Cecil Kellaway, who plays Wickwire, the caretaker, says the mortuary began in 1973. Ironically enough, the actor Cecil Kellaway passed away in 1973. So mm. the, the year he died is when this mortuary was filmed back in what 1960. You said I think mm. February. Um, yeah. This episode takes place on the cemetery asteroid Happy Glades in 2186. So Eric, what do you think of the episode? What do I think? Elegy. Eh, eh. It was okay. Uh, I wouldn't rank it in. Uh, one of my top five or top ten even for season one. Wickwire's performance, it was outstanding. He, he obviously, I said this already, he carried the episode. Uh, he is engaging. You know, you will watch. It's worth the ep- watching the episode just to watch him do his thing. Um, but the other three astronauts, they were just kind of ho-hum. Like, I don't know. There, there wasn't really a whole a whole lot um, from their performance. It was good. It was good, but not great. That's how I would characterize it. What do you think? I personally didn't like the episode. Um, I know I'm a little harder on Twilight Zone than a lot of people. Uh, Some people may have liked it. I I did like Wickwire. And I thought thought Doc Baker did a pretty good job, too. each of the astronauts did have a little something different. And now that you know that one of them was a captain, one of them was a professor, and then I don't think they said what the other one was, they all probably had different perspectives in life. Um, and I'm now now it's got me thinking, was the professor the one that went into the beauty pageant? And maybe that's why he thought that she was the most beautiful one at all because she was, you know, I don't want to say nerdy, but she was, um, you know, maybe had the brains of the group. You know what I mean? Because she, mm-hmm. she had the she had the looks like she was a really smart lady. And I'm wondering if that was the professor guy in there. I, I'd have to go back and watch the movie or the, the show. Um, then you have the captain, which um, if you remember when the guy asked, hey, do you like this house? Or they're talking about that house. He's like, you want it? It's yours. It was the captain telling him, hey, if you want it, it's yours. Because they're, they're still following the chain of command from what I see in the in the movie or in the, the episode. Um, okay. So each one played a part, even though you you didn't catch it right away. Uh, now that I think about it, um, they did all play a part. It's just it just wasn't um, obvious enough to catch it right away. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So would I put it in the top ten or five ten? No. Um, but the getting in, it's a, it's a Twilight Zone, and I like the Twilight Zones. Uh, okay, yeah. let me ask you this: uh, Last episode, you said that season two becomes a real bummer. Where, was this better than season two? Yeah, I think I would rank this episode ahead of uh, some of the duds in season two. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> there were uh, there were a few duds in season two, and we're going to get to them, and it's going to be like pulling teeth to, <laughs> to get information <laughs> and to really stay focused on some of those episodes. Cause, uh, right, but yeah. there is also some really good ones, um, I believe, in yeah. season three. Um one of my favorite ones, I don't know if you ever watched it, the one that I was telling you about. It is probably my favorite episode, and it's really well done. Um, I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'll tell you off the air, so that way you can look it up and watch it, because I, I don't know if you've seen it and uh, watched it yet or not. Um, but, yeah, 
I would say this is just an average, uh, average Twilight Zone. You yeah, know, nothing, sure. nothing really stood out. Agree? Disagree? Agree. Agree. We we agree on this episode. Wow, that that's a, I think that might be the first time. Uh, no, I think we both oh. had, uh, time enough at last two. So. Yeah. Well, I think this episode's coming to a close. Uh, the next episode we will record is Mirror Image, and uh, we've already had some discussion about this one too. It's going to be another. <laughs> we're going to do- like it. I do. We're going to disagree on this one. Barnes, uh, she has my last name, so obviously that automatically puts her in favor uh, for me that I'm going to like the episode because my name's mentioned in it. So yeah. Well, yeah. I think that's a that's a wrap. Uh, it's getting pretty late here, and I and Eric's got to go to work tomorrow. So I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And Eric, take it away, and and cut. Kirby Weber and Myers, three men lost. They shared a common wish, a simple one, really. They wanted to be aboard their ship headed for home, and fate, a laughing fate. A practical jokester with a smile that stretched across the stars saw to it that they got their wish with just one reservation. The wish came true, but only in the Twilight Zone.